listening to list it the show where me and a guest rank and list things in pop culture and guys i'm really excited about the show today because i can i recently got the opportunity to sit down with a really good buddy of mine his name's jamie torkowski and jamie is just a really incredible guy he's he's a, a gifted storyteller an incredible writer uh he's he's an entrepreneur and he has such a passion for, for mental health. And he's the founder of an organization that's called To Write Love on Our Arms. I've known Jamie since the very beginning of To Write Love on Our Arms. There was a time where you really could not go to a music festival or turn on MTV without seeing To Write Love on Our Arms t-shirts everywhere. Now, since then, the organization has grown and it, it offers incredible resources for people uh, that want uh, more information about different ways that they can seek help if they're struggling with things like mental health, addiction, depression, self-injury, and suicidal thoughts. I encourage everyone to check out TWLOH.com. Now, like I said, Jamie's a storyteller. And To Write Love in Our Arms, the organization, actually started when Jamie and some friends in Central Florida met a young woman named Renee, who herself was struggling with addiction, self-injury, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Now, uh, Jamie wrote a story about his interactions with Renee for a five-day period before she actually was able to enter a treatment center. And that story was called to write love on our arms. And you can go you can go read that over on the organization's website right now. Now, Jamie's idea at the time was to sell t-shirts with those words and that would help fund Renee's stay in this treatment center. Now, the idea took off. He started selling a lot of t-shirts and since they founded the organization to write love on our arms, they have helped countless people. And I, it is such a cool organization. Also, Jamie recently launched a new clothing line. Uh, uh, he is a, he's a long history in the fashion and apparel industry and launched a really cool brand called Needs an Ocean that itself is based on a really cool story because at the core of everything Jamie does is really compelling storytelling. And that's why I want to have him on and talk about some of his favorite movies. You know, one of the cool things I like to do on this show is to be able to talk to interesting people about topics that they might not talk about all the time, but I know that they're interested in. And someone like Jamie, who everything he does, he kind of frames around the power of story. I really wanted to hear what stories move him. And so I wanted him for him to come on today, break down his top five favorite movies. I'm going to break down uh, five of my own. It was a really, really fun conversation. So without further ado, here is Jamie Torkowski. Jamie, dude, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Hey, I'm really digging Needs and Ocean, man. Tell me a little bit about uh, the story behind the brand. Yeah. So I lived in Nashville for most of last year. And I, as you know, I grew up in Florida and I've been a surfer my whole life and I just wanted a change. I realized I had a lot of friends in Nashville. You probably do too. Mm-hmm. It's almost a joke, right? For people yeah. in our circle that everyone moves to Nashville. And I was surfing so much less in recent years. And I, I just thought, okay, maybe, you know, that can be on the back burner. I'm going to go give this new place a try. And in moving to Nashville, I realized how much I love surfing and love the ocean. And I was telling you earlier, it just made me appreciate Florida in a new way. And it wasn't like I hated Nashville. I really, I loved my neighborhood in East Nashville and and I did have good friends there, but it was funny. It kind of took me going to this landlocked place to really appreciate the ocean. And, and specifically I would use that phrase. I would say, you know, Nashville's great, but it needs an ocean. 
and obviously I, I, I don't know, it, I, I kind of think in yeah, t-shirts yeah. and merch and, and so it was, it was just became this like creative project while I was there, while I was landlocked and sort of my love letter back to the, the coast. And yeah. it's been neat because I, it wasn't strategic to do it this way, but it, it's been cool to see it connect with other people who are landlocked. Yeah. And I was, you know, you, you and I were talking that hopefully it's not just like a club for landlocked folks that, yeah. you know, the, the hope is that for anyone who, who loves the ocean or, you know, being in the water or surfing, uh, I don't know. It's, it's been really fun. It's teeny tiny. It's like a total side project, passion project, but it's, yeah. it's been fun. And, and it's just me. Like there's no, you know, obviously I, I work with designers and screen printers, but we don't have a staff outside of me. So it, it's just, it's kind of brought me back to the beginning of just, um, very DIY and independent yeah. and yeah. small. Well, dude, it, it's it's such cool. Cl- like I was telling you offline, like I, I I wear it all the time and get compliments every time. So you guys are doing a killer job. People need to check it out. Needs an ocean and to write love on our arms. And what the other thing that people need to know about Jamie is at the core, I feel like of everything you do is whether it's in kind of the, uh, uh, the apparel or um you know with with to write loves or you know you're a great writer. It's storytelling, and you are you know even w- when you're describing the needs an ocean. There's not a lot of like uh, people that kind of are in the fashion space that their pitch for their brand is a story. And I think that's so cool. And so I, that's why I'm really excited. I'm excited about the topic. We're going to each talk about five of our favorite movies today and list those. Uh, and the other thing we're talking about is like we are right at I, we can see the light at the end of this dark tunnel that we've all been in for like a, a straight up year now. Like, totally. you know, the numbers are, are dropping. Vaccines are becoming more widely available but at this last couple week home stretch maybe if people just need to hunker down and watch a movie we'll give them a couple recommendations yes, today yes so i i want to admit or confess that uh i feel very insecure i don't feel qualified i don't know that i have a great top five it also came together in the minutes leading up to <laughs> but i feel like i'm notorious where i i love movies i watch yeah. a ton of movies yeah and then just totally go blank when someone says, Hey, what are your, what's your favorite? Or yeah. like what happened in that movie? You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but that's why, that's why I think it'll be so fun because like, it's what, look, we, you can have, you can talk to a movie critic all day and you're going to get the same, like the, you, the, the, it'll be like this from the same pool of movies that they choose or a yeah, five, yeah, top yeah. five. But like I said, I, I really do feel like people have connected with you, you know, on, on a lot of different levels because of your ability to, you know, like, not just tell stories, but ingest stories and, and kind of meaningfully extract, you know, powerful things from them. And so I'm really interested to see what, how your list shakes out. Today, you may see my ability to forget stories. (laughs) (laughs) We will see. We'll see. All right, let's go ahead, Jamie. Let's jump right to it, man. What do you have as number five on your list? Okay. This is your, you, my hunch is this will be a curveball. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm ready for it but it, it may make you smile. Number five, it also fills one spot on my list, which which is part of what I need to get through this. Yeah. So number five, I'm going with the To Write Love on Her Arms movie. Dude, I'm so glad you said it. Okay, so uh, I was wondering if this was going to come off at all, like organically. So uh, there, th- this was, I, I want to say probably what, 2008-ish in that era, maybe? That sounds about right, yeah. Uh, you know, to write love, uh, you had written something. It was actually uh, had first gone out. I think in in relevant. Oh wait, news. sorry. Are you um? Do you mean the very beginning? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Kind of leading up to the movie is like. So 
we started in 06 and I honestly, it's foggy. I want to, I think it may have been a little more like 2010, but it, mm-hmm. it gets so foggy in those middle years. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, keep going. So, so the, the organization, you know, starts getting this kind of grassroots acknowledgement. You, there was a time around that era where it was impossible to go to a music festival without seeing probably a third of the attendees in a to write love on her shirt and about half of the artists wearing that shirt as well. <laughs> so it's really catching this momentum and tell, uh, uh, and, and again, the brand is based on a story, which you kind of articulated at, at the beginning to your guys' kind of early efforts to, to help someone that was in need of help. And it it really was a story that's like, okay, Hollywood, you have this cool story. You've got this cool brand. Let's make a movie. Tell listeners kind of about the movie and what that was like. Well, it's, it's funny because the, I think the first person to, to really, you know, pick up the ball and run with it was not a Hollywood guy. It was a a guy. I don't know if you ever met David McKenna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So David was, my roommate when I met Renee back in 2006, um, yeah. I was renting a room from from him in his home and he was in recovery and he had, he had dreamed of making movies. And so he was the one that uh, had the idea to turn this story into a film. And so it, I point out, um, I ended up being involved in a small way. I think technically I was a story consultant, but it's not like I made the movie or the organization made the movie. So he yeah. had, he had that initial idea. And, and then we were, you know, we, we kind of entered the process further down the road and got to speak into the script. And, and then honestly, the, the really fun surprising part was just getting to be on set. And, yeah. and I didn't really have a role. I mean, someone played me in the film. So every now Not and then just someone, Chad, Michael Murray played you, Jamie, <laughs> my, my sister had a crush on him growing up. I, maybe as, as a lot of sisters did of a certain age. So that well, was, a, look, look, I mean, you could pick worse people to be portrayed by oh, like totally, he was a yeah. heartthrob man. Yeah. And he was really kind. He was really respectful. I mean, there was a couple of moments where he would like stop a scene and talk to me because he wanted oh, to yeah. get it right. So that was, that was really kind because he didn't owe me that, you know, but he was very respectful, not just of me, but I think of the story that we had really lived, you yeah. know? So Renee and I were around a lot and obviously Renee was, or sorry, David was around as well. And it was deaf. I, I put it number five and kind of smile because it's such a, who would have thought yeah. thing. And it's not that the, not that the film is perfect. You know, there's parts that sort of make me cringe. There's parts that I love. Um, but I'm, I'm, thankful that it happened. And then a really sad reality is that after the film came out, David McKenna in real life passed away. And he honestly, Rupert Friend, um, who I know from Homeland, he, he was on Homeland for years, plays David in this film. And he's by far my favorite part. He's my favorite character. And it's funny because David wasn't British yeah. and, uh, like it's hilarious if you make a movie to pick like a British handsome dude to play yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. But I, I feel like the spirit of David really comes across and David was very much the leader in the, the real story mm-hmm. that we all lived. And so I think for me, it it's a way that people get introduced to his life is through this film. And yeah, so it's, I think I'm, I just couldn't not put that in my top five. Rough night. Rough life. Secrets make you sick. I know a place. You in? I'm in. Do you have drugs in your system? Don't most people come here? 
You ready for this? Thanks, so. Florida Music Fest, we we'll all go together. If there's music, I'm not thinking about drugs. No, there's no drugs at a music festival. It's a great idea. Her story isn't unique, but she is. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, I'm so glad it's in there. Just how weird is it seeing an actor portray you on real life events like sitting in the theater? Was it just super surreal? Well, it's funny because and I think my friends and family would agree like there's there's parts where you feel like, oh, he he totally nailed it. You know, like that's you. You you talk that way or you know what I mean? And then there's other parts where when it's you, you're like, oh, I hope I hope I don't exactly do that you know like, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. It, that's how people see me yeah because <laughs> it is funny because it and i think we we've, we've all thought about it like who would play you in a movie or what mm. if someone made like those are fun questions yeah um and again it's super he's like he's an attractive dude like i i thought his character was really cool back in the one tree hill days yeah yeah um but then when it's you you realize you have some strong opinions about like oh would i would I wear that? Would I say it that way? Yeah. Do I, do I come across that way? So yeah. yeah, I think I had to let let some of it go. And again, I think when I zoom out beyond like the intricacies and 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 every sentence that's written, uh, I'm able to appreciate and just kind of smile and also just be grateful. Like, man, what a what a wild ride! What a cool thing that this not only happened but got made. It got put out by Sony. Yeah. It's funny. The film sat for a couple of years. And then Sony saved the day. And the interesting thing was they would only buy the film if they could call it to write love on her arms. Mm. And we, as an organization, we didn't, prior to that, we didn't want it called to write love on her arms just to have some separation. And, um, and it was interesting because it came down to this moment of the only way this film is coming out is if they can use this title. And so we, we had to think through that. Well, it, it's such a cool movie, man, and such a cool story behind it. And look, Kat Dennings, who who is you know plays Renee in the film. Now she's in Wandavision, man. She's in the MCU, so yeah, I think yeah, it worked yeah. out well for everyone. All right, no, great. you know it's funny. Oh, the last bit we were, she was in Orlando uh, filming, you know, this movie when yeah. she got the Two Broke Girls show, like when oh, she got wow. there. And that. That was a, a game changer for her. Yeah. You know, that was a huge yeah. moment. So I remember her being really excited because she had just gotten this great news. That's, that's, that's so cool, man. Well, it's such a cool movie. And like I said, the story is really cool. I'm glad it made your list. All right. So Jamie, for mine, my number five is uh, a movie that uh, I feel like really teased one of the great discoveries of quarantine, which is the show Schitt's Creek. Are you a Schitt's Creek fan? I'm making my way through. And so, and I don't want to keep hijacking the conversation. Yeah. No, no. But I, I'm notorious for only watching serious shows. Okay. Like for for years. And it it's taken me, I think during the pandemic, I've realized like there's really, I can enjoy shows that are not always yeah. serious. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm late to the Shit's Creek party, but I am making my way through. Well, part of the delight of that show, well, Dan Levy, I feel like, obviously, is is an, now widely recognized as a national treasure. Uh, yeah. But the the chemistry between Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare, who you know, uh, uh, there's a generation of us that Catherine O'Hare was like the mom from Home Alone, you know. Yeah. But uh, that's why I wanted to put this movie on my list. It's Best in Show, which is a Christopher yeah. Guest film. Uh, which for those who are unacquainted with Christopher Guest, he it makes mockumentaries, so fake documentaries. 
but he constantly recasts the same people. And I feel like he is really responsible for the chemistry between Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare by casting them over and over again. And I feel like they hit their comic peak in the film Best in Show, which is a fake documentary about the world of high-end dog shows. Uh, Jamie, are you a Christopher Guest fan at all? Dude, I, I'm, I'm going to have to write down your, your top five because I haven't seen it and I don't know as much as I should. But I, I've definitely... I've heard of that film and I I trust your judgment. Yeah, so it's if if anyone's looking for just a a lot of it's improv too. Um but because of Christopher Guest style, which is that sort of fake documentary, fake reality show, it really kind of normalized what shows like The Office or Parks and Rec mm-hmm. or Modern Family would do later, which is camera, you know, characters acknowledge they're being filmed and sort of this, you, you know, uh, very meta approach to comedy. But it totally works. So if people are interested in that or they like yeah. Shit's Creek, check out Best in Show. Great movie. Live from Philadelphia, it's the 125th annual Mayflower Kennel Club Dog Show. 3,000 dogs competing for best in show. To think that in some countries these dogs are eaten. Cookie and I work as a team. We met at this dance. He didn't want to dance. I got two left feet. (laughs) I thought he was kidding. But I wasn't. I was born with two left feet. I'm also a dog owner, so I can appreciate it on that level. Oh, I, it, this or you'll be very offended because they just let loose on every kind of dog owner. So definitely <laughs> check out Vestage Show. All right, Jamie, what do you got for number four, man? Okay, so I, another insecurity. All of mine come with an insecurity. Mm-hmm. Another insecurity was that all of my top five was going to be from like the last fifteen or twenty years, or even like. Oh, there's or, nothing wrong with that. There's no, nothing no, no, wrong with that. But then, reason. but then I was able to step back. I think this may have come out in 1989. Okay. I, I looked it up a couple months ago, but the movie North Shore. North Shore. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I might be a little older than you, but I remember being a kid and going to see it in the theater, just being in love with surfing at the time. And so that's the first, I don't know that as, as a kid, I don't remember that level of like wonder and awe yeah. and excitement um, for, for just seeing a movie. And I've seen it. I feel like it's one I've watched so many times, especially as a young person, but it still makes me smile. And it's funny because it has such a cult following in the surf community. Yeah. Even among, because parts of it are cheesy and silly. um, But it also, it's sort of this mix of like some of that, but also they used real professional surfers. And I think Laird Hamilton's in it and Jerry Lopez and these famous names. So I kind of went back to like, that the wonder and awe of the kid who loved surfing. And, and I think, I don't know, it sort of stands alone as a, a surf film. Yeah. That, I was just thinking about that. Like, why aren't there great surf movies? Like, I mean, there obviously there's point break. Uh, and then, uh, you know, North shore, there was a movie, remember Shane Dorian, the professional yeah. surfer, he did a film called in, in God's God, hand yep, in God's hands, but all of them are kind of corny. No, like, totally. There's been none that just like nailed it, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think that's the tension is if you make a movie that, that surfers would sign off on, is it still accessible to non-surfers? Yeah. And, and then the flip side, if you make a Hollywood movie that focuses on surfing or surfers, is it cheesy, which we have seen over and over. And somehow North Shore was maybe this like great combination, you know, Um, because it did have, obviously it's set in Hawaii, it's set on the North Shore, those real locations. 
I don't know, something about like the late 80s. I, I just, uh, that, that has a special place in my heart. Rick Kane is determined to make his dream come true. Welcome to Pipeline. Bonsai Pipeline? One and only. You're dangerous. Better you go home. Yeah, Kook, you don't belong over here. Nobody messes with the buoy. But he is an outsider. Seem like a nice girl. And there are more obstacles than he ever imagined. This is when I saw, I honestly think that was the turning point where I... I went from like being afraid of picking five to like, wait, I ha- I Lean might have in, a, man. Yeah, I might have a top five here. Yeah, because I do feel like when you're anytime you're and that's part of the fun of doing the show is like, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, Bear Reinhardt, who's in a, in the band Need to Breathe, and he was on yeah. uh, talking about some of his his favorite songs. And he kind of had this confession early on that was like, when he was making his list, he was like, when I had the realization that like credibility, like trying to score like cool points doesn't really matter because like, look, man, anyone go to Pitchfork or anyone can go to Rotten Tomatoes, but I want to learn something about the person, like why certain movies mean it. So I think it's a great pick, man. North Shore, Uh, uh, you know, one of the few very cool surf movies that still hang up. Okay. For my number four, uh, I'm going to go another, another comedy, um, which is, uh, and again, and, and the reason I picked this is because there's got there's some movies that you can just turn on at any point in the film, just sit there, and whether you watch it for 90 minutes or whether you watch it for 15, you're going to get some that that degree of pleasure. And there's no de- there's no actor that I feel like is living that captures that better than Will Ferrell. There yeah. he has a handful of films where if you turn on Step Brothers like halfway through and just sit there for 10 minutes, you're going to laugh. But I feel yeah. like the peak of this was 2004's Anchorman. Uh, it was it was his first major co- collaboration outside of SNL with Adam McKay, who they would who did Step Brothers, and you know Adam McKay is super interesting too because he went from SNL head writer to this goofball who just made movies with Will Ferrell to now he did Vice, The Big Short. He's doing a movie called Bad Blood, which is about Elizabeth Holmes and kind of the tech industry, yeah. this whole kind of scandal. You know now he's like a prestige filmmaker, but you know. Audiences forgot to know first got to know him in Anchorman, which is the the thing about Anchorman. I feel like it's aged really well because when it came out, it seemed like people just did not know what to do with the movie. Do you remember your first time seeing Anchorman, Jamie? I I don't think I do. I, I think um I think for me, I w- I was curious where you were going to go with that because I was thinking about Step Brothers, and then I don't he might have had a cameo, but I was also in that sort of genre. I was thinking about Wedding Crashers. Yep. Yeah. Neither of yeah. those made my list, but I those are great picks. Yeah, you, I, you gotta love a movie like I said, where it's it has the same. Like I love The Office still. Like if during my lunch break, or if I just have you know overwhelmed or stressed out, like one episode, twenty one minutes of The Office will clear the brain. Same <laughs> yeah. thing with Anchorman. Turn on any point in the movie, and you're gonna laugh. Yeah, yeah. How much time? You're on. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. That is good. You're on the air. How are you? You look awfully nice tonight. Maybe don't wear a bra next time. How much time till we're on? Get you on, Ron. What? We're on the air right now. Oh. <clears throat> I'm ready. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy. Here's what's going on in your world tonight. 
So Anchor, Anchor Man's my number four. All right, all right, Jamie, what do you got coming down uh, at number three? So I think all three of my remaining picks have done time at number one. Okay. At, at some point in my life. Um, for a lot of years, I claimed this is my favorite. I'm, I, it ended up third today, but I'm going with Almost Famous. And I think for me, a lot of people love this film, but I think for me, it was connecting with the Cameron Crowe character. And I think sort of, and I think you'll relate to this, but as someone who wanted to tell stories and sort of capture and document stories, but also wanted to wondered if you could blur the lines and and kind of crawl inside them and, and like live the stories that you were telling, you know what I mean? And, And I, obviously it's also, it's amazing because he's so young in the film and then it's the world of rock and roll. Like there's so much about it. That's pretty magical. But I think that, I don't know. I, I think, especially as someone, you know, 15 years ago that was trying to figure out, am I a writer? I, I think I really, maybe I love writing and yeah. um, I just, I really connected with that. So I'm going with almost famous. If you're going to be a true journalist, you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Just make us look cool. God, it's going to get ugly, man. They're going to buy you drinks. Don't take drugs! They're going to fly you places for free. It's Bowie! You're going to meet girls. We are not groupies. We don't have intercourse with these guys. Just blowjobs, and that's it. Amen! On the road with the band. Your mom called! Rock stars have kidnapped my son. Spirits run high. There's acid in the beer that's in the red cups. How do you know when it's kicked in? I am a golden god! I think it's such a great pick. You know, obviously, you you know my story. Like, early on, I was a young kind of music... I wasn't as old as Cameron uh, Cameron Crowe's, like, analog in, in, in All Is Famous, who's, like, a teenager. But I wasn't that far removed, and I remember... there's so many things I relate to in that movie, but then so many things that I think also capture the magic of an era that just doesn't exist anymore. You know, this was the pre Instagram era of celebrity journalism where our only, where people's only access to how we thought about famous people was through how they're portrayed either in their art, which they control or through how journalists frame their interactions with artists. Like, mm. there was no uh, Instagram stories. There was yep. no, you couldn't cameo. I couldn't pay a hundred bucks and have my favorite rock star send me a personal message sure. on Cameo. This was a different time. These guys, you know, w- there's a famous scene where one of the guys in the band is standing on the roof of a, yep. of a house and he yells, I am a golden god. Yep. That era is gone, unless you're like Drake or Taylor yeah, Swift, yeah, yeah. or you know what I mean. Like we don't have that kind of level of of celebrity anymore. And when we do, you know, the way their image is totally framed yeah. by all these other different methods. So I think even just as like cultural artifact, it's it's an interesting yeah. movie. Yeah. I also even attached to that same scene because they end up at a house party, right? And he's yeah. that's the yeah. house, and he's he jumps in the pool. Uh, but I. I love how, you know, Cameron Crowe's character, he just, it's not like he gets an interview or a series of interviews. He goes and lives on the road with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I love that it also taps into connection and community and, you know, relationships. And I, there's just so much good stuff wrapped up in it. And then, you know, specifically, I guess it was the moment most of us were introduced to Kate Hudson. Yeah. It was like yep. a huge role for her. Um, Zoe Deschanel is in it. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a great cast. 
Jason Lee. Yeah. It's, it's, it still holds up too, you know, it it really does. And it's also like just the only people who would find this, this element really interesting are people who probably worked in like the magazine industry, but it's like, I miss the days of big travel budgets where, yeah, we got, we got a 3000 word feature. So let's go send this kid on the road for a month. to turn. It's like, it's like another Kate Hudson journalism movie, how to journalism, quote unquote movie, how to lose a guy in 10 days where she's like working on a three page you know, satirical listicle for a lifestyle magazine. And it's like a month long, you know, wildly unethical social experiment. It's like, when did magazines have that kind of money where they where three pages of coffee require, you know, months of travel, but Hey, it's, you know, fun times. Um, all right. Great pick with, with all the by Andy Barron, you know, Andy, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, we did an episode uh, months ago about music films, and he he put Almost Famous on his list. Too. Wait, Andy and I had a, an amazing moment on Twitter a few days ago. Okay, okay, break it down. Okay, Phineas, Billie Eilish's brother. Mm-hmm. Great documentary, by the way, that I just... Have you seen it? The, no, the no, not Billie, yet. It's really good, and he... It's on Apple, right? It's, yeah. It's a, yeah, and he he really shines, not just as a talent, but I think as like a really caring really awesome brother. Um, anyway, Phineas posted something about meeting Mike Shinoda. Uh, Mike Shinoda put Mike Shinoda from Lincoln park went to put his number in Phineas's phone and somehow didn't just change the contact, but, but changed it so that it it seems like it's Mike Shinoda's phone. (laughs) Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And so Phineas (laughs) tweeted that he couldn't fix it. And Andy Barron responded to the tweet. I don't, I don't know if he knows Phineas. I don't, I don't imagine that he does, but Andy responded with a one line from um, I'm blanking on the name, but like the, the huge Lincoln park song. Oh yeah. <laughs> Crawling. Yeah. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. Got so far. Yeah, yeah, oh, so far. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway, Andy responded with like one line from that song. Yeah. I added like the next phrase and then strangers on Twitter basically finished the entire song. <laughs> and so it was like the best of Twitter. It was yeah. such a good, don't then, you love when Twitter shows like it's good side. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, got it's dark side is, is totally. Tough. Yeah. It was like a joyful flash mob. Someone yeah. described it to me, but Phineas ended up liking the thread. Uh, but that, that was a fun Andy Barron moment the other day. Yeah. I'm totally blowing it by not remembering the name of the song. But. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and look on Twitter. We'll, we'll find okay. it before the end of the episode. Um, okay. So, uh, almost famous, fantastic. And it, like I said, it's a movie that still holds up. You can watch it today and get just the same amount of enjoyment as you did when it came out probably 10 or 15 years ago now. All right. So, so my next one, I got, I got a serious one for my next one. So when, when I first graduated college, I was like, I got to learn. I, I worked at like the student newspaper, right? Which is, which is great, but they, but you, you're learning AP style, you know, very dry, very kind of straight to the point, you know, they call the inverted pyramid, the who, what, where, when, why, you know, just give them the facts, you know? So, but I was like, dude, if I were to really want to make it in this, I got to learn to be like a good writer. And so I, I was looking at, I remember going online at the time and being like, what are the critically acclaimed books that are coming out right now? And if I can read them, maybe I can glean something from them style-wise. So I saw at the time that the author Cormac McCarthy uh, mm. was getting, you know, he had uh, just released, you know, his previous book was No Country for Old Men. And he was releasing The Road. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to read these two books. This is long before the movies, you know, were 
I was like, I'm going to read these two books by this author I don't really know a lot about. And I'm going to see. And if people haven't read Cormac McCarthy's work, he's a very kind of Spartan writer. So mm. there isn't, there's not a lot of flowery. It's sort of very like Hemingway-esque in his way that he delivers these lines that are just, you know, he'll, the sentences will be long. You know, it'll be like, it was the it was the the peak of the day and it was hot and it was dry and our hero was dead and it was like i just never really heard unpolished prose like that yeah so i became like obsessed with him for this brief period of time where i would just devour everything he did and then i saw that the cohen brothers were tapped for the adaptation of no country for old men and i was i was almost like angry cuz i was like no 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 this is my experience i had this experience with this book i don't want to see hollywood I'm sure it was not dissimilar to your experience with to write love on your arms. You're very nervous. Obviously the stakes are much lower in my, you know, but I was like, I, I just want, I don't want the images that I have in my mind to be replaced because it was such a profound experience reading the book. But when I watched the Coen brothers adaptation, they couldn't have done any better. It is one of the perfect movies. And, you know, in terms of like a, a contemporary Western as, you know, as a piece of modern philosophy about, destiny about the consequences of our actions about mm. the inescapability of of tragedy of mm. the ram- randomness of violence of choice of it is such an incredible movie and one of the great villains of all time with yeah. Javier Bardem's Anton Sugar uh, here here's a clip from No Country for Old Men just how dangerous is it compared to what the bubonic plague crime you see now it's hard to even take its measure it's just all out war you can't stop what's coming what's this guy supposed to be the ultimate badass you don't understand jamie are you, are you a fan of no country for all men i am and i was curious i it, actually as you were talking it makes me want to go back and watch it Cause it's foggy. I remember that I enjoyed it. I think I watched it once and it was years ago. So I want to go back, but I loved the road. I loved his mm, book, the yeah. road. And it, I, I, not that I disliked the film, but I think I had a similar feeling where I loved the book so much yeah. and then was hesitant about then watching the film and the yeah. film is good, but I, that was a, like definitely a top five book for me. Yeah. It, and one cool thing for people that are familiar with those two books or movies is No Country for Old Men actually ends with Tommy Lee Jones recounting a dream. Because, you know, it, at the, uh, spoiler alert, if no one's seen No Country for Old Men, the bad guy gets away with it, right? The hero dies, his g- g- his wife dies. It is unmitigated tragedy and violence the whole time. And the person who's been futilely trying to stop it is this old-time sheriff uh, he's played by Tommy Lee Jones, and he ends the film with a monologue where he's recounting a dream. And in the dream, he sees his father go up a hill on horseback carrying a lantern, and he decides he's going to follow him up the hill. And that theme of, you know, in the road, it's carry the fire. We have to carry the fire. Yeah, It's this symbol of, because the road is about... If you think things are bad in No Country for Old Men, they don't get worse. They get far worse in the road. A post-apocalyptic, yeah. you know, hellscape where like can- houses of cannibals are around every corner, and there there might be no w- way to survive this, you know. But they keep going back to this theme: carry the fire, carry the Wait, fire. I'm wearing a thrice shirt, and Dustin Kensrew, who's the lead singer, his podcast is called Carry the Fire. Oh, dude, of, yeah, because, because of, of Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. So if people, you know, I think. 
if people maybe saw No Country when it came out because it was a big movie, you know, Oscar campaign, all that, I would encourage them read the book and go back and rewatch it. It's such a great experience. So No Country for Old Men, uh, my number three. All right, Jamie, number four, coming down the home stretch here. What do you got, man? Oh, wait, number two. Oh, yeah, yeah, number two. Number two. <laughs> yeah. So I, always get, I was like, we'll go back. We'll, we're re- reviewing. Yeah, but I want to talk about North Shore some more. No, <laughs> <laughs> let's get number um, two. Number two, I feel like this would be my most obscure pick besides the to write love. <laughs> Although maybe I have a few obscure picks. I'm going with the film brick. Have you ever brick? seen brick? I have not seen brick. Tell me about it. I, this is where I need to pull up IMDB or you're welcome to, yeah, but yeah. I know the director went on the bigger R- things. Ryan Johnson. Yes. Can you tell us what he's gone on to? He has gone on to, well, I think Looper was yep. the action movie he did. Uh, famously, uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, which is, you know, kind of depending on who you talk to, it's either people, you know, people love it or or Star, yeah. or it's polarized. But I think that's very cool that he did something that's polarizing, but also is looked at as very good. And then Knives Out recently was, oh, yeah, yeah. was okay. which and he's doing the sequel for. So yeah immensely uh, he's a visionary director yeah so brick i think i don't know if it was his first film i know he it primarily takes place at the high school that he actually went to Mm -hmm. in i believe southern california i think it may have been san clemente um so it's set in a high school world high school student characters uh it's a love story it's a murder mystery it's I I think I really connected with the writing and I know I'm mm. curious if you check it out what you'll think. I yeah. it gets classified as noir. Am I saying that correctly? Neo, like neo noir. Yeah. Like it it's it's a it's a mystery but the writing is so unique so it kind of becomes this like fantastic world. Mm. And basically Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the main character and he is in love I, I think it's Emily De Ravine from Lost yeah. um, is the love interest and she dies. She's and and so it's it's basically him like obsessively in love with this woman who has now passed away and trying to solve the mystery. And he's basically fearless, like yeah. because he's just so caught up in it. So it's funny. I think I, I I've said it for a lot of years, I claimed it as number one. And it it tends to, a lot of times people haven't. Uh, haven't heard of it. It's it's neat. It's amazing what the director's gone on to do, the list that you shared. But yeah, yeah Brick, I'm going with Brick. If I get to the bottom, whatever this is. What do you want? Just to see you sweat. And it gets too hot. You got a discipline issue with me? Write me up or suspend me. I see that you're trying to help her. And I don't know anybody who would do that for me. You are dangerous. I set out to now put her on the spot. And put her in front of the gun. There's not much chance of coming out clean. Well, let, let me ask that too, Jamie, about like, because I feel like there's different kinds of movies. Like, I'm not going to watch Anchorman. I'm not going to be in the same mood to watch Anchorman that I'm watching No Country. But at, at the same time, where if you take a movie like Almost Famous, which it has some heavier themes and heavier moments, but ultimately it's a breezy, enjoyable movie to watch, right? Scene to scene, there's always jokes. And then you take a, a, a movie like Brick, which is high concept, dramatic, um, dealing with a lot of um, you know themes and ideas and situations that have a level of complexity that require the viewer not to probably be goofing around on their phone while they're watching, which is a big problem for me. Like when I'm watching yeah. a movie, it's like, yeah, I can watch a movie and read this Twitter thread at the same time. But Brick, 
and, and <clears throat> frankly, all of Ryan Johnson's movie require you to be engaged or you're going to miss details. Which kind of movie experience do you prefer? It's funny because I think I've gotten worse as a viewer in terms of doing what you just mentioned, like thinking I can keep an eye on my phone or multitask. Um, I definitely gravitate toward serious films. Like yeah. we were talking about, it, it's, it's taken, I think the last year for me to realize like, Hey, maybe it's fun to laugh. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. like maybe I could just <laughs> be entertained and not everything has to be a murder mystery. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, f- I feel like I, I have to fight. Um, the phone tendencies that we all have these days. Yeah. But I definitely, I definitely gravitate toward not just the serious films, but I think kind of the solving the mysteries yeah. and, and, and also just even watching characters develop. I mean, yeah, I guess films, it's funny because my list is actually not super heavy, but, but um, especially with shows that I watch, I feel like they tend to be heavier and brick, I guess brick is the, the heaviest of my top five. Yeah. Well, it's also Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who he's impossible to do anything that's boring, right? Yeah. Like, whatever he's in, it's gonna, you know, it's elite, at the very minimum, it's gonna be a very interesting project. All right, great pick. All right, my number two, this is one I, I recently rediscovered. I have a, and a, a, my son is eight years old now, and my, my daughter's five, which is crazy to have the kids that old. But uh, they recently discovered the movie Sandlot. And Sandlot is a movie that came out in, I think it was 93, so I was like 10 years old when I saw it in the theater with my dad. And at that time, I played little league baseball. I I played like there was like a little sandlot field near the house where we ride bikes. And you know, I so anyway, I loved the movie as a kid, but never really came revisited. My kids wanted to watch something this summer during the when every parent is trying to find every wholesome <laughs> thing we can possibly watch for a second side together. And we ended up going revisiting Sandlot and I kind of did a, a deep dive back into the movie. And it is it's it's not the perfect movie, but for what it's trying to do, it is perfect. Mm. Because it for people who haven't seen it, it's about a group of young friends in, you know, the early 1960s whose lives revolve around sort of this like nebulous, never ending game of baseball. They're, you know, in the movie, they never really keep score. It's always the next man up, you know, and it's just about the love of the game. And it's really one of the few great, like really, really great playing outside movies, right? Like I think Stranger Things is a great playing outside series. I think Stand By Me is a great playing Mm. outside movie, but they, there's something about playing outside movies that, oh man, it really makes me remember what it was like when when you were a kid and it was like, what am I doing this afternoon? I don't know. Going to get on the bike, see what all the, see what everyone's doing. Jamie, are you a Sandlot fan? Dude, I don't. Even, I know I've seen parts of it. I don't even know if I've properly seen it all the way through. So I love your list because it it makes me want to revisit all five. I haven't heard the fifth, but I trust you, and I I love your picks. Oh, thanks, man. Well, if for anyone who and yours too, man. And the, like, I'll, I I'm now excited. Like Brick, I I like that's on my list. Like I got to see it now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sandlot. It's it's just a great if if you're kind of like the genre of like the Wonder Years. There's even like that voiceover narration. You know that feels yeah. very nostalgic of an adult reflecting back on his childhood. You know, which I would I know it's kind of like a corny trope in filmmaking, but I also when it works, it works. You know. Yeah. And so it's one of those. But something else has got their ball. That wasn't my ball! Dad's father gave it to him. Babe Ruth signed that ball. Babe! 
We gotta get that ball back. You got any bright ideas? Initiate retrieval section number one. Power connect. Come on, hold me, it's heavy. Now. Fire, fire! All right, uh, Sandlot is my number two. Jamie, this is the big moment, man. Are this you feeling? Are you like, should I go with this? Am I gonna? Am I gonna pivot? What? What? What, what no, do you got I, for number one? I've already written mine down, so I have got to it. honor. I have to honor the what I committed to. I, I'll throw out some honorable mentions. Okay, which yeah, you, yeah. You should do. You should do before number five, not before number one. But yeah, well, yeah. I'm a. I'm a little sad. Goodwill Hunting didn't make my list. Okay. I'm a little sad. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I feel like. I don't know if it would have been Walk the Line. I loved The Village. Yeah. I'm realizing. So I wish Joaquin was on. Maybe I should have done like a top seven. Why you mentioned him, give me give me your one sentence take on Joker, whether you liked it or not. I definitely, it's weird. I, lo- I think Joaquin is incredible. Um, I feel like I want to watch everything he does. I thought it was incredibly dark, hard to watch at times. Um. I think I did benefit from reading some of the commentary, like reading yeah. some, yeah. which that's an interesting one when you're not really sure what you, what to feel or what to take away and, and yeah. to, to read kind of how other people process it. So I think that in a way that was almost helpful to me because it is so violent and so painful. Yeah. And obviously for me, not just, you know, coming from mental health and working in that field for a long time, um, so I think there are some silver linings in, in terms of uh, some things we can take away in a positive sense, but it's definitely, it's so heavy and so dark. And I wonder too, if that's going to be a movie people revisit years from now after, uh, you know, kind of the polit- the season of political turmoil right n- we're in now and really kind of view it as a way to understand con- the contemporary relationship between disenfranchisement or perceived disenfranchisement and violence, you know, yeah. because that at the heart of the movie, that's kind of, you know, this person sees himself as a social outsider and the best way to kind of get what he wants is through acts of violence. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we saw what, what has happened politically in this country where again, even if that disenfranchisement is only perceived, I think Joker provides us with some interesting looks at what that does to the psychology of people who have been told over and over, you're disenfranchised, you're yeah. owed this and you're not getting it, you know? Yeah. Um, it, and I haven't, I just watched it once early on, but it's also interesting how some of the, the lightest or hopeful moments of the film, you're not sure if he's imagining them yeah. or, 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 or kind of after the fact you realize that he was, those were fantasies. Um, and so that's an interesting one of, of you kind of get a glimpse at his, his inner life or some of his like longing, like there's the, the love interest neighbor. Um, and he's imagining like that as a possibility when in real life, that's not on the table for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, um, Zazie beats. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but she's just, Wonderful. I, I actually hadn't seen Atlanta I, I, since I've, I watched Atlanta. Oh, un, un, um, unbelievable. unbelievable yeah. Show. Yeah. I almost, so when Jessica, um, I guess we would say producer, right? Your yeah, producer. Yeah. She hit me up and asked if I wanted to do shows or movies and I went with movies, but I, I wrestled with it. Cause there's obviously there's so much good TV. Wait, I haven't, 
this is a long sidetrack to me sharing my number. Oh yeah. One. Okay. So here we are. <laughs> number one. Number one. All right. I got. I got I'm, interested in your Joaquin takes. Okay. No, no, never, no. So, so honorable mentions. Pretty much the work of Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And and then also Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. And I felt like maybe a Batman movie. I love Batman, so I felt like maybe Batman. I do. Dark Knight's one of my. It's probably my honorable mention. You know, you know. I thought about. You can tell me if this is terrible, because again, it's foggy. It's been years, but I thought about going with Batman Begins. Hey, dude, that there is there's a lot of people who stand for Batman Begins. Like it, it's seen sort of a resurgence in where it falls, like in the Batman pantheon. A lot of people have it as the number two best Batman yeah. movie. I mean, Dark Knight, I think because of partly because of the Heath Ledger performance, partly yeah. just because of the cultural sort of sure. significance. But in just the quality of a film, I think you can make a case Dark uh, uh, Bat- Begins it should be number one or number two. You because know? I think the origin story in a way makes it relatable because yeah. the Batman idea is so like sexy and cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see sort of this human origin story, I think, I think that stayed with me. Anyway, my number one, I'm going with a film called Beginners. Okay. Beginners. Are you, are no. you familiar with no. this? No. Tell me about right. it. I'm very so interested I, though. I'm actually grateful that you're typing as I say it, because I think you're going to, you'll be able to fill in some gaps, but it's you and McGregor. Uh, I'm blanking. Is it Christopher Plummer who just passed away? Yep. Christopher Plummer. So Christopher Plummer plays his father who I believe has cancer in the film. And so there's a few different things at play. His father, after years of being married, I mean, probably decades of being married to Ewan McGregor's mom, uh, comes out as gay for like the, the last months or maybe a couple years of his life. Yeah. So Ewan McGregor is caring for his ailing father um, who's in a new relationship. And then I don't know. And then part of it is just, I just, and if you watch the trailer, I think you'll get a sense of it, but I, I don't know, just the way, the way the story is told and, and kind of some of the quirkiness, um, some voiceover stuff he has a little dog that they kind of have a dialogue. Oh, that's cool. the, The dog has some subtitles like where the dog shares what it's thinking. And then he falls for this. um, I'm blanking on her name. You might be able to pull it up, but uh, this French actress um, who he meets at a party. And so it's also Melanie, Melanie Lorette. Yeah. 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 And and I bet a lot of people would recognize her face or, or some of her work, but uh, so it's also this, this love story. And yeah, I think even the trailer will give you a sense of just kind of the uniqueness of the film. Sometimes I wonder Before Anna, I had four serious relationships. I let all of them fall apart. Just be happy about it. Huh? For the first time I saw I'm really in love. And I am once again with you. People like us, half of them think things will never work out. The other half believe in magic. And each kiss and inspiration. Sex, life, healing, nature, magic. The memory of love's refrain. This is what I'm supposed to feel like. Yeah, me too. And it's funny because like on paper, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It's not like a murder mystery or super heavy, but I just, I think I've just realized like, man, that movie... 
I just love that movie. How do you feel about when movies inject elements of like surrealism, like a dog that can communicate or, you know, kind of the sequences where you don't know if the protagonist is maybe dreaming or it's yeah, reality. Yeah. So Cause sometimes, sometimes that can take you out of a movie, but if it's yeah. not right, like typically you know, I, typically I want no part of it. Like to, yeah. I think in the spirit of wanting things to be serious and realistic, um, but I think we can all relate because really the only aspect of it in this film, I think is the relationship with the dog. Yeah. And, in, and I don't think he can understand what the dog's saying. It's almost like the viewer gets a window into. Yeah. Um, and, in, and I think now as someone who has a little dog, but we all have like those strong bonds with our pets. Yeah. So I, I, I actually love that dynamic. So to me, it's subtle. It's not, it doesn't like send the film into the realm of fantasy or yeah. science fiction or something. Cause yeah. I, I think that's where I, I sometimes feel a bit of a disconnect, you know? Yeah. Um, there's exceptions. Like I love stranger things, like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but this one, I think because it's this little dog that, that is such a sense of comfort and companionship for him, it's just like a really cute added dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? So, okay. So I'll give one honorable mention since we talked about kind of surreal, like surrealism and kind of sci-fi ish twist. There's a movie that came out years ago by, uh, the director. It was before he really blew up. It's, uh, uh, Colin Trevorrow who has gone on to do the new Jurassic world movies and, you know, is now a big up and coming director. You know, you got to start with this indie film that stars Aubrey Plaza, Jake Johnson, and Mark Duplass called Safety Not Guaranteed, which all three of those all three of those actors are just unbelievable. I've heard of that. Okay, I need to watch that one. So yeah, I love it because it's sort of based on like a viral internet journalism story, mm. uh, which for a long time was my profession, is, yeah. is trying to figure out how to make stories go viral on the internet uh, about these kind of uh, three people who work at like an indie magazine publication, and they come across this Craigslist ad where someone is looking for a time travel companion and they okay. leave the note on there, safety not guaranteed. Yeah. And in real life, there was an investigation to what was behind the ad. This is sort of a fictionalized version of it. And you just meet so many interesting characters. The tone of the movie like goes wildly from comedy to hard drama to mm. sci-fi without really, it, with kind of this reckless abandon. And you're like, wow, that was just a ride. And it's called yeah. Safety Not Guaranteed. So anyway, I wrote, that's, it, I wrote that, it down. That's my honorable mention. My number one is, and this might, I don't think this would be controversial, but my number one is, uh, I've always loved the movies of Wes Anderson. Um, mm. But what I found is like, the the more the older I get, the more movies he releases, the less I kind of into his new ones. You know, yeah. I mean, I see them all because I just appreciate him as an sure. artist. You know, um, but my all time favorite movie is his debut, a film called Bottle Rocket, which came yeah. out in 1996. And a lot of people, I feel like today, probably know Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest Hotel for the Royal Tenenbaums, for, you know, uh, Life Aquatic. There was another sort of more recent, I want to say like five or six years ago, that there was the kids, kids had a big part in it. And that one was really, really good. What was it it called? It was called Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. I like that one a lot. So so I feel like uh, Moonrise Kingdom is sort of an outlier because... It doesn't have, it still has that, that, that kind of Wes Anderson framing, but it doesn't feel as storybookish. 
where yeah. Grand Budapest, it's like, this is a giant dollhouse. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like Royal Tenenbaums, it's literally a fictional storybook about this kind of weird Brooklyn neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. where Moonrise Kingdom feels like an imagined version of an idyllic, you know, kind of New England town. Yeah. And yeah. it's just beautifully executed. But sure. bot- Bottle Rocket, it doesn't have any of that those framing devices. Sure. It's very real. It, it, it doesn't, there aren't characters in the movie. Like, you're never going to meet a Steve Zissou, Zissou in real yeah, life. It's yeah, a character. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, or, or, you know, Richie Tenenbaum, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. But, but Bottle Rocket is, is, is not in a, isn't, doesn't have that kind of surrealist framing where it really is about these kind of, three aimless 20-somethings that have grand ambitions. And what I love about the movie is there's a lot of movies like that where it's like, watch these three friends figure out life together. Mm. Where this is, watch these three friends figure out how to ruin their lives. And it's uh, it, start, it, it centers around Owen Wilson's character of Dignan, who Owen yeah. Wilson co-wrote with Wes Anderson while they were college roommates. And wow. uh, who, else, who are the other main actors so the uh, the only other one that's really of well there's t- only two that you would probably recognize which one is luke wilson yeah. uh but the other is james Kahn, the okay. legendary actor yeah. you know from the godfather series which was actually some funny backstory about them you know pulling strings to land james Kahn in essentially an indie film yeah and him having no idea what they like these guys have no idea what they're doing this is the weirdest movie ever yeah, yeah. and if you can see james con in the movie sometimes act a little like weirded out about what's happening he's a great actor but even he was like what is this movie yeah, uh, yeah. because the movie centers on these three friends who want to be bank robbers um or or thieves they want they're be, really bad at it right? they're terrible at it and yeah, yeah. and they keep boggling stuff but it's really an exploration as much as it is sort of that's a funny line hey look that's like a funny pitch for a movie right yeah. like it's about bad bank robbers you yeah know? it's like okay that's funny um but it's really about a, a movie of uh, that optimism that everyone who's been in their 20s has had of yeah. like, dude, I can do anything. Nothing will stop me. Even if that optimism is misguided. Yeah. But it's also about the re- what happens when reality meets optimism. Mm. And how, you know, what, no matter what their motives were, whether it was to start the next great company or whether it was to be to, to rob this laundromat, you know, yeah. it, 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 it was never going to work. And yeah. we've all, I feel like most people have come to that point in their life where they realize, man, this isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Sure, sure. And and it, so it's a really kind of beautiful movie in a way because one character never comes to that realization where the other mm-hmm. ones do. And yeah. so you can watch it as a surface level comedy and just appreciate kind of the shenanigans and the dialogue. Or you could watch it for this metaphor of, you know, the tough realities of growing up. Mm. Either way. Yeah. It's such a fun movie to watch. Uh, it, it, like I said, if you're if you're interested in the in the in the catalog of Wes Anderson, that's the one that kind of gets left out a lot because it isn't. It was before he developed that style, but still, great movie. Are you a Bottle Rocket fan, Jamie? Dude, I I saw it years ago and and I wrote it down. I, I gotta or I want to make sure I get all five of yours, but uh, yeah, I saw it years ago. And same, I, I feel like I've seen well most of Wes Anderson's films. Not like. Super fan, but definitely appreciate yeah, it. I, yeah. I think I think Moonrise Kingdom maybe stands out as like my favorite, but I mm-hmm. want to go back and watch Bottle Rocket because it's been so long. Yeah, and Moonrise definitely number two, like for me. Yeah, but but uh, the but, Bill Murray um, submarine. Which one was that? Uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yeah. 
I, I feel like I, I really enjoyed that one too. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. All of his are like super enjoyable. It's just like, as they get going, it's like, you could see he was putting as much time in like the color palette of like the prison pajamas as yeah, he was yeah, yeah. like the dialogue, which yeah. is fine, which is fine. But sure. Bottle Rocket, it's like the only, the only, t- like he, he always loves color. Like if you notice, yeah. like, so there's a red fleece that will show up throughout the movie. That's sort of yes. dramatic. But other than that, it's more of a straight up. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, are you in? I really don't want to do this robbery, you know? Man, neither do I. You're breaking his heart, you know that, don't you? What were you thinking? They're gonna keep on trying. Got it, ma'am. We know it backwards and we know it forwards because we've done the legwork and we've done the research. Until they get it right. What are you doing here? You're always at lunch now! Not always. Yes, always! It's before he had the money for the, like, fat, like, the wardrobe... Yeah, exactly. And like, and then like stop and anim- stop motion animation sequences and stuff, you know, yeah. like it, it's, it's old school filmmaking. So, well, Jamie, dude, I got so I got some movies I got, I got to watch now, man. I'm pumped to, to check out uh, the ones on your list. Oh, likewise. I, I, I wrote some down. This was really fun. Well, dude, let's do it again sometime, man. Let, let, I, I like your idea of actors. Like we should do an episode where we go through if this, if this actor or actress is releasing something, you're going to see it. Cause that could be a fun one too. Totally. Well, Jamie, this was a blast, man. Hey, people can check out To Write Love on Our Arms online. Also, Needs an Ocean. Seriously, pick up some uh, pick up some of the gear. It is, it is really cool stuff. Jamie, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jesse. Great to see you always. Great to hear your voice. You too, man. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of Listed on the Ironclad Content Network. Hey, if you like the show, I know every podcast has to do it, but it really does help. If you like the show, leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.